My name is Jimmy Carter, and I'm running for president. At first I was afraid, I was petrified. Keep thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking blah, 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 blah. And I grew strong and I learned how to get along. So now you're back, blah, 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 blah. I just walked into blah, 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 blah. I should have changed that stupid lock. I should have blah, 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 blah. If I'd only known for one second, you'd be back to bother me. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of those progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome, welcome to 1979 and the Ruthless Variety Program. Thank you, Duncan, for an excellent introduction. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I knew this was going to be a great episode, but, you know, the trains leave the station at full power. We are rocking and rolling right now. Oh, Get we just, we wanted to get everybody in the mood for, you know, President Carter and Malays in America, 1979 all over again. I mean, the, the, what I'm describing it as, and it really took off when I mentioned this to folks, is American decay. That's what that's what Biden is bringing. You're seeing it right in front of your eyes. American decay. I'll tell you one thing that is not decaying. It's the variety program. We've right? got we have just an absolutely masterful, I will say, even I will say myself. A masterful program today. Yeah. We have Nigel Nigel Farage, a huge fan favorite. Round of applause. And, and 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 like I pointed out, Ruthless has gone international. There is no time zone where you can escape us now at this point. Like uh, I, I know when Duncan pulls the metrics, we have listeners like in every every country except what, like North Korea. Yeah, yeah. Like, but then North we'll Korea, please let your people listen. <laughs> no Cuba, no North Korea. I think we're missing Madagascar. We're gonna what? get folks in. Let your friends in Madagascar know about the show. Oh, the Madagascar. You got to get on board for the big win, folks. Listen, we got a lot of stuff going on today. We got a lot of stuff. There's tons of news. We'll all hit all of it. But um, one thing I want to start with is your horse. Man, your horse That's keeps right. making news here, Smug. And, and the junkie horse can run in the Preakness. Uh, we still don't know whether it won the Derby, but, but technically it's going to be allowed to run in the Preakness. I mean, listen, folks, it's a junkie horse. I don't think we should shame it for whatever substances it uses. Uh, you know, Baffert said it was something like uh, it was sore and they put some like ointment on, on its huff or something like that, that uh, uh, alleviates pain. And, well, and, and and there's like two pico, some, like picograms uh, of this like banned substance for horses. Listen, at the end of the day, juice those horses. <laughs> hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Before we get into that. Does this horse have a problem or does it just like to party? That's right. <laughs> All time greatest ruthless moment. The 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 other That's expert. the thing is like the horse has nothing on Demi Lovato when it comes to raging out. <laughs> well the other explanation I heard was was that uh you know a stable hand had taken some cough medicine and uh, You heard that? Is that a theory? Peed, yeah, is that peed, a legit peed theory? on the peed, peed on the hay and then the horse oh, ate the God. hay. Yeah. It's steroids. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
it was a steroid. I don't know. Sometimes stable hands got to take steroids. Imagine having to be out in the hay all day. You'd probably want to be juiced too. So we did, we did a really interesting after the show show on Clubhouse on uh, Tuesday night where we discussed the, the relevant conflict in your position, Smug, between being okay with juicing the horse, but also believing that you can take said horse. Do you feel like those are con- in conflict? Well, here, here's my take on that is I would fight the juiced horse. I will fight a juiced horse. I mean, I mean, the horse doesn't know what I'm on. You know, I, I wake up every morning. I have, so, so I have a, one of these fuel for fire, uh, you know, protein smoothies. I have a very balanced diet. You know, I try to not eat a lot of salt. I'm ready to fight. Nobody believes any you know, of this. I take a one-a-day vitamin. I'm on some shit, too. I'll take a juiced horse. The multivitamin <laughs> gets him over the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that at the end of the day, I've, I've told folks before, those among us who have experienced the, the pain of, of uh, uh, dealing with, with horses or if you, if you have a horse or if taking care of a horse you know it's just problems like you think a boat is is expensive get a horse friend uh like oh my goodness your horse didn't have the right diet now it's hind legs don't work all right roundhouse kick to a horse i take it juiced or not roundhouse kick there's just never been a worse take no smug i mean i'm telling you i will horses are so easy to beat it's shocking i think the horse is just like the ultimate animal in the animal kingdom, which I think man- mankind, you know, like alleviated or, or brought it up from its like humble beginnings. Because if it was just out in nature, horse would be extinct. Horse would get owned. There's wild horses everywhere. Yeah, and they get destroyed. They're like owned. I just love the idea that you're gonna roundhouse kick a horse. Like, do you know how That's high the thing. a horse horse's head is? It's like like here's five, the thing: is it, it, how tough can a horse be? When for hundreds of years, people just put blinders on them and the horse is like, all right, I'm cool. I guess just like walk forward. These aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, folks. Like if if anyone asks you, biggest animal you can beat, go with horse. Such an easy pick. So this is this is quickly becoming one of the fan favorite. Uh, it's, <laughs> so it it's so true. It's so true. Anyone who's, who's, who's ridden horses uh, extensively, kept for, you know, kept a horse, taking care of horses, they are they're like such divas, let me tell you. Like horses are absolute divas. I wish everybody could see how earnest Smug is right now when he's <laughs> explaining all this. He's deadly serious it's about so all. It's so true. The problems I've had to deal with horses, man. Like, oh no, you have to put it on this vitamin because it's like right hind leg hurts. It's like, are you serious? Are you serious? I thought horses were supposed to like carry cowboys through the desert. This right. horse can't handle like non-organic food. Soft, soft animals. Let's get off. Let's get off. (laughs) All right. All right. So our our country's going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, the guy who's president doesn't seem to notice. Um, Look, for those of you who live anywhere in the southeast or northeast, you you happen to notice that the gas, gas shortages have now resulted in basically every gas station not having any gas. Uh, but the other thing that uh, I saw the headline today that's worth bantering around, Chick-fil-A sauce 
A real shortage in yeah. Chick-fil-A sauce. Yeah, that got my attention. Yeah, that's how you start a revolution. Oh my goodness. Huh? I mean, they, they don't serve on Sundays and that like that ruffles feathers. Which is crazy because it's every Sunday, every Sunday without fail, I get like a hankering for Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, they're going along with God's plan. Can't get, yeah, I'm okay with that. It, it's kind of your personality, though. You always want what you don't can't, what you can't have. That might be it. I mean, it's it's genuinely crazy. America, the world's last superpower. And there are folks in line for gasoline like this is the 70s. Like you, a lot of folks, you may have heard from your parents about this where they're like, Oh, you know, there were these dark days where an odd numbered license plate was one day to get gas and even numbered license plate. They, they are back. Like it's, it's 2021. And those days are back. The malaise is back. American decay is back. And Biden is asleep at the wheel. I mean, absolutely asleep at the wheel. He's got complete economic bungling, unchecked inflation, skyrocketing prices, millions out of work. Uh, Israel's getting rocket attacked. We've got gas lines, as we just discussed. The illegal immigration at the border, which we could talk about every episode. I mean, we've got all this stuff going on. The president is totally MIA. And you're like, oh, let me pick up the newspaper or watch KLT. What, what, what can I find out about any of these topics? You can't. You can't you find cannot. out anything. You cannot. And you know why, folks? And we warned you this. It's because they want you to take the bait. They want the bait. That's all they've got is the bait. They want, if you look right now, turn on your television as you are listening to this. Right now, you will see a Chiron, and it is talking about Liz Cheney. Yeah. I mean, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to the show, think about how much you're paying for eggs. Think about how much you were paying last year. Think about how much you're paying for milk. Think about how much you're paying last year. Think about how much you're paying for gas. How much were you paying last year? Can you even get gas? And now they want to talk about Liz Cheney. There are rockets going down on Israel. Liz Cheney. There are they're they're running out of space. Like it's not just this administration is not just putting the kids in cages. They're having to take out like stadiums of cages. They are running out of space to put these kids in cages. And no, we got to talk about Liz Cheney. Yeah, right. All, all of that's all of that's going on, and the entire DC press corps is staking out the woman's restroom in the Capitol waiting for Liz Cheney to emerge. That was so wild. And I, I mean, they have stopped being in any way. Like, it's so obvious their game. So obvious. Everyone, there's like a thousand Brian Stelters now running around in D.C. trying to get a career off of wishing they could get ratings again. It's not going to happen. So look, we're not clairvoyant, but we've been around a while. And we've certainly monitored the way that media formulation happens in concert with the Democratic Party, right? And we told you two weeks ago that this was happening. And we told you that the reason that ultimately Liz Cheney was going to lose her leadership spot was because she was taking the bait, Yep. right? I'm pleased to report that most Republicans, most Republicans have responded to all of this by not taking any bait at all. They basically, they basically blown off the press or they talk about the gas prices. They talk about all the other stuff that we're talking about and they've just refused to discuss it. There still are some out there and you know who you are, you sons of, you know who you are. Yep, yep. You show up on these cable shows and you talk about either the leadership elections. I don't care what side you're on. I don't care if you're pro-Trump, you're anti-Trump, you're pro-Liz Cheney, you're anti- If you're talking about that, you are letting your country down, folks. It is so 
crystal clear. All you need to know is the purpose of leadership in Congress is to make the lives easier for your members. You have to help them. You have to facilitate the message. You have to help them grow. And if you're doing the exact opposite, if you're throwing them in front of a bus over, over something that's already been litigated, like literally, then you're not doing your job. Well, you're putting yourself, you're putting yourself in front of the interests of your conference because remember a lot of people don't understand what leadership politics is under the dome. Leadership politics isn't about going out and like giving a Jed Bartlett speech. I mean, this is like the West Wing concoction. I'm so shocked at how many fucking conservatives believe what liberals believe in terms yeah. of like the Hollywoodization of how this works. It doesn't work that way. Nope. The way it works in leadership politics is you have to go out and figure out a what the best message is for your team to be able to unify around and then drive it like yep. a truck driver. You just drive it. I think that is so important. And I, I, I want everyone, you know, for everybody in the back, we want to say it louder. That is the purpose of leadership. You find the consensus, you get everyone on board with it, and you push that message. Hammer it. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is it comes from different places. Like you see, you see, you know, people who are, are conservative, people who are more moderate, like there, some people stumble upon this stuff. Like, look at what Susan Collins was asked today about what she thinks of the Liz Cheney thing, right? Because the reason she's asked is because everybody's like, oh, she's moderate. She's an easy mark. She's going to give me a good quote. Yep. She's going to do it. Now you came to the wrong spot. You came to the wrong spot. She said she made her impeachment decision a long time ago. It's time to move on to the challenges we're facing. Collins said, let's move on. You know what? Like, huge shout out Susan Collins. Like right? that, like I would have, I mean, it's, 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 what's the saying? It's not that I'm mad. I'm disappointed with Liz Cheney. You should know better. Your father invented the whole throwing the game right back at the journo. And instead you just like took the bait right up. How, how would Liz Cheney, how would you like it if people were asking you about the Iraq war when you're running for office? Wait, that's not fair. That's, that's in the past. Why are you bringing up bullshit? Your purpose in leadership is not to litigate fights that have already been litigated. Your purpose in leadership is to find a consensus, help your members, and drive the message. And that's why you are facing the consequences you're now facing. And, and politics is dynamic. It is not a static exercise. It changes based upon inputs that you get, different economic conditions, different foreign policy issues, all of the things that you're watching play out across America and the world today. That informs political decisions, right? So to, to, to wed yourself to events months ago and to make that your entire identity is to lose. It's to lose elections. It's to lose everything. There's only one group in America that wants to make that an issue going forward, and that's the left. They don't want to talk about how prices for everything are going up. They don't want to talk about how Russians hacked a pipeline and now everyone's in lines for gas. No, they don't want to talk about that because they've, they pushed this fake narrative for years about how, oh my goodness, Trump is letting Russia run amok, which ended up being completely made up. And now you see what happens when Russia's actually running amok when a president's asleep at the wheel. So they're like, oh, we, we absolutely cannot report the news. We have to create the news and we have to create this narrative that the, de- that, uh, uh, the Republicans are losing. Uh, who can we get on? Well, Liz Cheney's, Liz Cheney's volunteering to start trouble. 
There you go. Yeah, yeah, right. See, I mean, the Democrats want to use all this Liz Cheney stuff to divide Republicans. And look, you don't have to take our word for it. Just listen to what the Pod Save America, you know, Obama's Pod Bros, what they yeah, say yeah. about how they want to win in 2022. Let's just play the clip. I want to have the Democrats have a narrative about the Republicans that is such that it tries to move us not from to move all these people into the Democratic camp. I don't we're not going to do that in one cycle. We're still not going to do it in a midterm. But can we get Republican turnout among particularly in rural and exurban areas from these white non-college voters down to Romney levels instead of Trump levels? If we get them down to Romney levels and we hold on to our gains with suburban voters and others, then we will keep the House and we will take the Senate. That's it. There it is. There it is. There it is, folks. they, They tell you exactly what they want to do. Create a Dem narrative that divides Republicans and gets rural, white, working class voters to stay home in the midterms. They, they, Dan Pfeiffer, for folks who aren't familiar with this, Dan Pfeiffer, one of these former Obama hands who everyone makes fun of and is one of these pod bros, straight up says, how can we depress voter turnout among non-college educated white people? Imagine, imagine a Republican saying something like that. Imagine a Republican saying something like that. Yeah, but I think if we said if we said we want to depress black turnout in urban areas, they'd call us racist. They'd say we want voter suppression. The, the, the direct analog is what I want. And he says the narrative of the narrative. What I want to see the Democratic Party, the narrative that it it what I'd like to see is black voter turnout return to Hillary Clinton levels. Imagine if you said something like that. First of all, imagine believing something like that. Yeah. Saying it. I mean, oh, my Lord. He gave gave the game plan away. He gave. And that's what this is, folks. He gave the game plan away. They know they have a really bad, really bad horse in the race right here with Biden. The guy is, is, I mean, in more ways than one, asleep at the wheel. Things are not looking good. Uh, infl- you know, the CPI yesterday came in way above expectations. Prices are up. Gas lines are happening. And they don't want to talk about all their failures. What they want to talk about is how can we divide and conquer Republicans? That's the thing is, I will give Dems credit on one thing, is they are so laser focused on electoral politics, like they always look towards an election. That's what they're laser focused on. And Pfeiffer gives it away it's 2001 he's already looking or 2021 he's already looking to the midterms he's saying we need to depress turnout among non-college educated white voters and divide and conquer is the only way they can pull it off well and it's also a signal to his friends in the media right it's keep yeah. the drum beat going divide these republicans you know get the the trump voters you know disillusioned with the republican party let's keep them home yeah. yeah. When the New York Times runs a story saying that, like, well, you know, gas prices haven't gone up and there's no real lines. They got they got the email from Saki. It said, get on board. We got the message. Just and- so so we go but bring this full circle. Right. I don't care whether you're sitting in your living room with your family, your lib relative, or if you are a member of Congress, a senator or a leader of one of the parties. When you are asked about what this says about the Republican Party? Or, or can you weigh in and tell us if you think there's a legitimate election in 2020? 
Reject the premise. Reject it. Tell him to fuck off. Bingo. That's not what's happening here. Bingo. We've got unbelievable, unbelievable problems out there. There are people waiting in gas lines. There are, there are literally, there, that's happening. This is 1979. You're watching Jimmy Carter's America descend on, on, on us right now. And we're concerned about whether or not somebody has a conference leadership position. Come on. The price of wood has more than doubled. The price of gasoline, forget a price if you can get it. And they want to talk about Liz Cheney. Folks, the message here is very clear. You've seen every election that has happened go down Republican votes surging. Our base is so energized. Uh, you know, I had a minion tweet that like a mayoral race in, a, in, in an area that Biden won. Yes. Was absolutely steamrolled by Republicans. Omaha, I think. Yeah. It absolutely steamrolled by Republicans. So, I, you know, my advice, number one, to all elected officials, to anyone seeking office, and, and to, you know, all Americans in general, listen to the base. The voters are speaking loud and clear. They are energized. They already, they already are experiencing everything that, you know, these, these pundits who, who don't have to face rising gas costs, if you can even get gas, who don't have to worry about rising grocery costs, uh, the voters are speaking loud and clear. The conservative base is energized and the media is doing everything they can to cover up that message and divide and conquer. Yeah. I mean, I think the good news is that increasingly the, the voters aren't listening to the media at all. Right. I mean, you've seen the ratings absolutely plummet. Yeah. I mean, the idea that there are Republican voters out reading the New York times and Washington post and, and watching, you know, CNN is insane. Like that, that there is literally isn't, I mean, we have a, we have a larger audience here on ruthless in the targeted demo than CNN does on primetime. Isn't that wild? You know, I mean, so like, look, our people get it, but if you're a politician and you don't get it, you better get it quick. Yep. yep. You better get it quick. Yep. I'll tell you what, I, I guarantee you. And I've told said a million times, I like Liz Cheney. If I lived in her, I, I would vote for Liz Cheney, but Liz didn't get it. Liz made a mistake, and that this is what happens when you make that kind of mistake in Republican leadership at this day and age. Everybody's playing for keeps. Nobody's doing the rearview mirror action. Everybody is going forward for 2022. Get on board for the big win. Me? I don't know. I don't know if I'd vote for Liz. Like, you know, maybe if maybe if her father showed up and said, hey, you want to go on a hunting trip? I'd be like, yeah, absolutely, brother. My ballot, you know, it's check is in the mail. I'm voting for Liz. Outside of that... Everyone, everyone, I don't care if you're an elected official. I don't care if you're a farmer. I don't care if you're a listener to the show. Everybody across America needs to know conservatives are energized and unity is the message. We are, we are winning elections. We are huge margins, huge margins. Like a Dem couldn't even get into the jungle primary in that Texas congressional. That's, that's how much enthusiasm we have on our yeah, side. In a district, Trump won by three. Yeah. That's right. that's what's so key. The margins are enormous. Our side is energized and ready to roll, and it's time to listen to the voters on the ground. So listen, here's the other side of this. The other side is the people that we shoved into a locker several months ago that reappeared in the esteemed pages of the New York Times uh, who managed to unearth a letter that had, believe it or not, a hundred republic oh a hundred republicans that they signed on saying that republican leadership 
Yeah. It's going to have to make some serious reforms or they might become Democrats. Oh, that's serious. Oh, oh. This, this, this is the anonymous guy, right? That Miles Taylor. This is the guy. This is the guy. No, so, so, so for our listeners here, just a little refresher on who Miles Taylor is. He was a staffer at DHS who basically hoodwinked the entire corporate media into believing he was <laughs> this senior West Wing staffer or a part of Trump's leadership team in the White House. And he was the resistance inside the administration to keep America safe. Lo and behold, he's just this guy who works at DHS. He's just, just a paper pusher, basically. See, now I they remember. So, they so, wrote a whole book, dude. So y'all brought up his name and I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I, I, I have zero idea. Miles what? Taylor. Miles Taylor. Never heard of this guy. Uh, I remember hearing something. Is this the guy who like everyone thought Mike Pence was? Yeah, right, 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 right. This is, do you remember when they, you, there was that anonymous uh, op-ed, I think it was the New York Times, you know, I am anonymous, you know, the resistance within the white, you know, the Trump White House. And, you know, that anonymous op-ed was- Administration official. Right, 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 right. And so everyone in DC was basically combing through this op-ed for any indication of who the author might be. And they seized on one word that appeared, Lodestar. <laughs> yeah, Lodestar. And furiously, everyone was out there, everyone's research team, checking, you know, Trump official speeches for the word Lodestar. And there was this conspiracy theory that, oh my God, it's Mike Pence. Yeah, because he used it once, right? He used the word Lodestar and they're like, it's, it's his own vice president. His own <laughs> vice president is the resistance. That's how whacked the entire media world was when Donald Trump was president. Completely divorced from reality. Turns out it's this little old Miles Taylor. Meanwhile, it's this douche that shows up who, who like, it wasn't even on the leadership of DHS at the time that he wrote all this stuff that's been elevated to this position that everybody thought was, was Mike Pence. I got to play, guys, I can't, I can't say this guy's name without playing, <laughs> without playing the audio uh, of him denying that he was, in fact, anonymous on CNN. There was an op-ed, there was a book by someone uh, calling themselves anonymous. Are, are you aware of who that is? Uh, I'm not. Look, and I, that was a, uh, a parlor game that happened in Washington, D.C. of a lot of folks trying to think of uh, who that might be. I've got my own thoughts about who that might be, but, uh, you know, I you're want not, my you're not to be on the president, and I certainly don't want to. Uh, I, I wear a mask for two things, Anderson, uh, Halloweens and uh, pandemics. So, no. Halloweens and pandemics. Halloweens and pandemics. My God. I mean, this dude... This dude, if there was ever a person who is custom crafted to shove into a locker, I can't imagine I would change a hair on Miles Taylor. Well, what I what I love about it is that he he lied. I mean, he lied to the media. Straight right? up. Straight lied. up. But it, it, what it reveals, the fact that they give him press coverage still and they say, wow, he's rolling out this hundred names and this is the new resistance to... Uh, Trump's GOP, how how bankrupt, morally bankrupt is our media that you can lie to their face. And as long as you're hurting Republicans, they'll still have you on. They don't care. They'll no, they don't you. care. Yeah. No, they don't care. But it also reveals the theater of it all. Right. It, it's 
the people, you know, when you think about never Trumpers and you think about the people who have been most outspoken as quote unquote conservatives who've now turned to the Democratic Party, by and large, these aren't real Americans. Like they're not, none of them are, are actually real Americans. Most of them make their living in the punditry class where they sit around Georgetown cocktail parties and green rooms and MSNBC and CNN, and they're paid to douche on Republicans. Mm -hmm. See the previous segment we just talked about. The previous segment is don't take the bait. These guys are literally paid to go take the bait. This is an individual who wasn't in the, the top 10 most important officials at DHS when he's writing DHS, first of all, I mean, like the fact, if it was even the secretary of DHS, I would have been like, I'm not sure that's a senior administration. But anyway, this dude gets a contract at CNN to go keep doing what he's doing, right? Because the way that the media perpetuates the narrative against Republicans is to find these sellouts yep. and put them on air. Do what you can to try to divide and conquer miles that's it's so li- funny. It's, it's like the only way they can perpetuate the narrative is to find people they can pay to say it. Like, wow. They're pay- they pay them to take the L. Like, they pay them to go on <laughs> national television and, and take the L and lose. I mean, I remember, you guys, I remember coming out of working in a McConnell world and being totally naive to all of this and having, you know, CNN and MSNBC and everybody else asking for you to come on. And like, I would come on and everybody would sort of expect me to take a knee on this stuff. It was like, I didn't understand my role, right? Yeah. My role was not to defend conservative principles. It was, it was to, to lose. It was to lose. I was supposed to be like the professional wrestling heel. Right. And like, which so quickly I was like, well, I'm, that's not going to work. Right? <laughs> it's like, that's not the way I'm built. So I just started doing Fox exclusively, but, but like, that's, what's the expectation. Now, I'm sure that there are exceptions to the rule, and I love that the guys who go out and the women who go out and actually fight in those arenas for real, but by and large, the paid contributors at all of these places are people who get the joke. They're like, yeah, you need me to take a knee here. I get it. Oh, I got to get thrown off the top ropes? No problem. I mean, look, I have no illusions about... um you know, being reflective of the entire Republican base across the country and professional political consultant. But these people are so divorced from the reality of our party and what motivates voters that, I I mean, I I can't even understand these people, frankly. No, no, no. Nope. It's pretty damn bad, but, but. You know what I want to get into? I brought him up earlier. I, I want to fire more shots at Pod Save. I, I the pod the Pod Bros have really been on a tear, big time, right? <laughs> like 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 with their broken brain takes. I don't Folks, even know what he's going to say next. It has to be very concerned. Not, this is completely uncharted territory. Folks, the Pod Bros dropped an episode this week called "Quote Horny for Bipartisanship" with Beto O'Rourke. Oh my God. <laughs> from from the from the minds that brought you what was it march badness which got like seven votes <laughs> seven votes horny for bipartisanship i know we shouldn't punch down but like the pod bros are such a scourge upon earth like i think right now you know the metrics say we probably have more listeners than them 
but it's absolutely ridiculous. Like you, you heard that earlier snippet about how they're trying to give the media their marching orders that, hey, divide and conquer. And what do they answer? What's the content they're giving their folks? Horny for bipartisanship <laughs> with Beto O'Rourke. I, I all, just, I really respect, I, I really respect that they're trying to make Beto O'Rourke happen still. I know. You know, right? the guy, the, the guy loses the Senate race. He gets blown out in the presidential contest. He, you know, protests Abbott reopening the state, which of course was ext- extremely successful for Texas. And now he's back doing the rounds on pod save like none of those L's ever happened. Yeah, you know, many people ask me, do I ever feel any regrets for ruining Beto's life and, and exposing to the world that he's a furry? The answer is no, folks. The answer is no. And, and the fact that, I mean, this is so telling of, of where the Dems are, because if they had a winning agenda, if Biden was crushing it, who could they not have on? Who could they not have on? Right now, we're looking at like gas lines. Everyone's paying double for groceries. Uh, I guess I guess Beto's free. Like the guy, the guy posted this video, which was, or, or this photo of him, which I thought was just the most definitive image of Beto. He's just like eating Chinese food, looking like a mess. His his dog, as always, is sad. Like someone, please either save me or kill me. The dog. I love you. Mentions the dog. Always loves the dog. And there were such high hopes for this guy. They poured money into that campaign. First, Ted Cruz beat him. And then he just got destroyed by every other Dem in the primary. Like, that's what you got going on, folks. Shout out Pod Save. Don't ever take shots at us. I love it. I love it. But look, here's what they're left to defend. I want to play a couple of clips. Which one? Which one of the twelve I've had? <laughs> Pelosi, Schumer, and the crew. You guys are bad. I'm not supposed to be answering all these questions. I'm supposed to leave, but I can't resist your questions. So, I mean, this dude is this dude is this is not working. <laughs> this is not working. We have just to recap: you got rockets in Gaza, right? You've got gas lines all the way from the southeast, all the way to the northeast. Inflation. Yep. Massive inflation, a stagnant economy. You've terrible got a jobs report. Terrible jobs. You have a crisis at the border. I mean, the problems are endless, and this dude is wobbling out. Uh, your questions. Uh. Is that something? That's where we are right now. Oh my gosh, you guys. You guys. This is why, like, we I, I, we keep hammering, don't take the bait. Like, this is the easiest time right now. And if you don't believe us, believe the numbers. Believe how, how Republicans have been crushing it at the ballot box. That's what you should look at. Our base is energized. They are out of ideas. I mean, this is, this is a president who... You know, last month it was reported that Biden wasn't attending coronavirus meetings with nation's governors. He hasn't visited the southern border. He said he'd visit the border at some point. There was an article where he, he, he had said that. And now it's just like he's just sort of going through the paces as Israel deals with like hundreds of rockets coming from Gaza. And we're talking yeah. Liz Cheney. I mean, and that's, and they gave away the game. Like that's Liz Cheney. Let's talk. I mean, he was asked about 
the gas shortage problem, and he can't even answer the question. I mean, I think he talked about education. What the hell does that have to do with it? This is a guy who canceled the Keystone Pipeline. Oh, there was a great clip. I don't know if we have time to put. There is a great clip of his energy secretary was asked about that very thing. Like, how do we replicate? And she was like, yeah, you know, it turns out pipelines are the best way to ship gas. <laughs> these, these are not easy solutions because um, there may or may not be the right uh, rail cars. There may not or may not be the deep water ports available for the Jones Act to be able to respond. So this particular area of the country there, this is why we have um, doubled down on ensuring that there's an ability to truck uh, oil in, gas in. But it's it's uh, the pipe is the best way to go. Whoops. Owned. Owned. Oh. Whoops. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. Whoops. Who could have who known? Don't say. Oh, you mean like the kind of pipelines that go from Texas into Canada and all the way, like those ones? You could say it, it, it is a key getting our energy almost like keystone you know <laughs> who could have known oh it's just incredible but, you know that's perfect that gets us into our next topic which is what is on everyone's mind if they're not just in the southeast because it's spreading originally it was the southeastern united states who was feeling the brunt of uh these gasoline shortages but now you know i've gotten texts hey you know, maybe this administration will pay attention now that it's spread to like Arlington, Alexandria. Yeah. The Beltway is facing these challenges. Folks, the colonial pipeline hack, the Russians hacked our energy under Biden. Oh my goodness. This this would have been treason a year ago. This would have been holy moly. Can you believe it? This administration is asleep at the wheel and letting the Russians hack our 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 energy infrastructure. Getting hacked by like some Russian crime gang as infrastructure under the dents. This is <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, it turns out pipelines are the best way to ship energy. And and and, and this is it, it, I, I told you earlier, ask your parents what it was like to experience a gas shortage. But what you should re really wonder is what's it like to not have a president? That's what we're experiencing right oh, now. Such it's, beyond, it's beyond asleep at the wheel. This guy's letting Russian criminal organizations hack our energy sector. There are lines at the gas pumps. First, they say this is no big deal. They, they, they clearly had, uh, you know, their, their their press secretary tell tell the NYT to circle back and say, "Hey, folks, there's no problem." Until everyone replies with videos of like, I'm in an hour line to get gasoline before I can get into work. This, this administration is an absolute disaster. Everything they tried accusing Trump of, they themselves are guilty of. They, and they can't talk about it. They just can't. They literally cannot talk about it, which is Dan Pfeiffer's point, right? That you've got to, fo you've got to focus yep. Yep. on dividing republic. We got to make sure that, that, you know, in his his viewpoint, I guarantee you this is what they think. They think we just got to make sure dumb white people don't get the joke. Like we just got to make sure to pull the wool over their eyes, which is the way. I got to tell Dan Pfeiffer, the people he thinks are dumb white people who don't get the joke are the ones that got the joke way before Dan Pfeiffer. Yep. They got the joke way before yep. Dan Pfeiffer. And at this point, as Smug has said throughout, the red wave's building. The red waves building.
It's coming, folks. You can deny it. You can look at everything from a static point of view, and you can say, oh, he's got 53% approval rating. Everything seems great. Mark, our friggin' words, it's coming. I mean, that's the thing is you have to look at the folks especially like Dan Pfeiffer, who I, I don't, I'm not even going to Google. I guarantee he went to an Ivy. Uh, they're not the ones who are facing shortages at gas stations. You know, on one hand, you've got the coastal libs, you know, they don't own a car or truck. They haven't missed a paycheck since this pandemic broke out. And they're the ones mocking average Americans who, 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 who are facing these issues, you know? Totally. That's that th- that is not a concern to them at all. Like they can have a, a photo op where Mayor Pete will bicycle for two blocks before security picks him up and throws him back in the suburban. They think you know life is a game. They don't have to face they don't have to face any of these economic constraints. So so they don't want to talk about that at all. No, that's a hundred percent. And 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 it isn't just the rural white working class voters that Dan Pfeiffer. Uh, you know, looks down upon. Um, there's also a, lo- a lot of other voters in suburban areas who are starting to wake up. Um, perfect example is Virginia, yep. Loudoun County. Um, Ian Pryor on on Twitter put up just an incredibly compelling uh, video of a hearing where a woman gives an impassioned speech against critical race theory. I think we should go to that clip. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now I have a dream that we will implement love, not hate, or supporting another Jim Crow's agenda. CRT is not an honest dialogue. It is a tactic that was used by Hitler and the Ku Klux Klan on slavery very many years ago to dumb down my ancestors so we could not think for ourselves. CRT is racist. It is abusive. It discriminates against one's color. Let me educate you. An honest dialogue does not oppress. An honest dialogue does not implement hatred or injustice. It's to communicate with deceiving without deceiving people. Today, we don't need your agreement. We want action in the backbone for what we asked for today, to ban CRT. We don't want your political advertisement to divide our children or belittle them. Think twice before you indoctrinate such racist theories. You cannot tell me what is or is not racist. Look at me. I had to come down here today to tell you to your face that we are coming together and we are strong. This will not be the last. Greet and meet, respectfully. It's incredibly powerful stuff. You know, and, and this is coming from a mother who, who sees the impact um, that it has on kids. And it's like these aren't, you know, conservative Republican strongholds in northern Virginia. You know, these are blue areas. I mean, very, the, very blue. I feel like that's the thing. I think that is our pathway to victory going forward is the Dems are completely asleep at the wheel. They... they you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the blocking and tackling the stuff that matters, they're an absolute failure. Republicans- well, and they'll say, and, and look, they'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, wow, you know, Republican culture war issues. Oh, you want to eat your hamburger? Oh, you want to stop critical race theory? I'm not going to take lectures from these people, the same people who buy RBG votive candles and they sing their Mueller Christmas carols. These right? people are losers. Okay. Yeah. Their culture is garbage. Okay. And I don't want any of it. I mean, there's a complete out of their minds and they have no, they have no connection whatsoever to real life. 
Yeah, they don't they don't face the issues that Americans across this country face, which is why Republicans have been winning like by huge margins. Here's another thing, folks. So so Biden said, you know, uh, there's going to be no no tax increases on the working class. How's that inflation working out for you? Yeah, inflation is a tax increase. And and they're the, the left is wanting to push out more stimulus. Is what's great, like the, the the absolute lack of understanding of how basics work. They're like, all right, well, if we pay people not to work and we just keep printing money and we send it out to them, uh, I think we can get the economy back. Uh, I don't know why people aren't uh, getting jobs. Maybe it's because we pay them more to not work than work. And so what they're asking for is we want a massive spending bill uh, to give people money to not work and our pet causes. And we think that could fix all these problems we're facing. It's it's so funny you mentioned that, Smug, because it's another example of the media um, changing the conversation back to this Liz Cheney stuff. You had last week, Biden was asked point blank, do you think the enhanced unemployment benefits are oh, the yeah. reason for the poor jobs report? You know, yep. That you, you so far underperformed expectations on the jobs report. And his answer is no. <laughs> And then like earlier this week, like literally four days later, he, what does he say, Holmes? He's like, um, if you go and apply for a job and you don't take it, you're not going to be eligible anymore. That's, that's like, he, like literally he does a complete about face on something four days later. And we're not talking about it. We're talking about Liz Cheney. <laughs> it's incredible. It's sort of it's like, so it, you know what it reminds me of, it reminds me of um, the Allen Iverson clip you remember that about practice we're talking about about talking about practice we've we've got inflation we've got gas shortages we we have gaza sending rockets into israel we're talking and And we're talking talking about liz cheney Cheney. not the game my love (laughs) not the game not the game not the game practice that's exactly it that's exactly it like that all the all the kitchen counter issues republicans are winning on so huge. Well, yeah. that's the, I think that's the secret smug. I mean, if you look at back at the last 10, 12 years of elections, every time that they're made on the issues, right? This is a center-right country. Americans overwhelmingly believe in Republican economic principles and foreign policy and everything else. Foreign policy has evolved a little bit over the years. The economic stuff has stayed absolutely the same. It is a total winner amongst the, the American people. And yet, you know, every once in a while, we get into a point where we're, we're litigating elections on something else. We're not talking about the issues. We're talking about all kinds of other things. That's when we lose our way. The problem that Democrats have is that every time that they are the ones that are in power, we will talk about the issues. And when we talk about the issues, they get crushed. I mean, look what happened under Obama. They lost literally a record number of state legislators. They, they had a total wipeout down down ballot. They basically bankrupted the Democratic Party. If you don't think that's coming right now, you haven't been watching because it's Bingo. coming. Bingo. All right. We got one more thing we got to tackle because this is a big, big fight. A thing that they wanted to distract all of us from was this debate this week that happened in committee in the Senate on S1, HR1. It's this voting reform thing that basically we've we've explained ad nauseum on this program how it's just a a democratic effort to try to take over elections and, and rig the system, which it totally is. And it's not even debatable. The thing is, is it's very important. Everyone pays attention to this because it's like this, this is the key 
for Dems to try to have permanent power. Like the reason we, we focus on this when no one else is and, and why the media wants to talk about Liz Cheney and we want to talk about HR1 is because eyes on the prize, folks. This is what they don't want you to know about. Yep. So I just want, I want to do this very quickly because you all know the issues at stake. Listen to what Speaker Pelosi thinks about their election chances and how HR1 and S1 are absolutely critical. Play the audio. Democrats are facing a tough landscape uh, in, in next year's midterms, the redrawing of congressional districts yeah. in uh, a number of states, in Texas, in uh, Florida, in North Carolina, in addition to Georgia, the, the first three all gaining uh, House seats. Isn't that going to make it exceedingly uphill for uh, your party to hold on to the majority in the House? Well, just the elections are about campaigns, and we are ready. Uh, but we, we would be better if we can pace HR and S1. So she gives it away. She gives it away. She's just saying, right. she's, she's just saying like, oh, look, I, we might be okay, but we're going to be a lot better off if we can pass this heap of garbage. They are who we thought they were. Yeah. It's just the flip side of what the pod bros are saying. They've got two goals. Create a narrative that divides the Republican Party and keeps Republican voters home in the midterm. Two, pass HR one and rig the game against Republicans. That's it. That's it. All right. Let's just that's perfect. We gotta play some games. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. King of the Hill. So listen, guys, it gets it gets tough. It gets tough. Uh, this time of, of week, because especially in a week like this, there's hot takes galore. It's an embarrassment of riches is what it is. It really is. So I came up with a new contestant that I've entered into the program. I'm going to go with David French. Wow. Wow. I mean, you know, all I'll say is the people called out for this. The people called out for this. They did. His takes have been just like nuclear. I'm very responsive to the minions when it comes to King of the Hill. And this is, I think, a very solid recommendation. Look, can we go, can we, can we take this uh, ringside? Let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In Hiding out of the Harvard Extension Campus, standing five feet eleven inches tall, and reigning champion of the world, Radio Free Dom Dispatch.com Standing five feet eight inches tall David Crystal's candidate French Oh, I, I love a good ringside announcer. Oh, 
God, he's it just, puts you in the mood, doesn't it? Know it. Let's go. Let's fight. Smug, so, you gotta you gotta bring heat here. Smug, smug, remind our listeners who you have. So, folks, I have the one, the only at Radio Free Tom, Tom Nichols, the expert of experts. Um, and he he won last week, dethroning. Uh, who did you have last week, Holmes? Who did I have last week? I had uh, uh, Dowd. Oh no, you had I had Boot. Boot. That's right, Boot. Man, we're giving a lot of the people a lot of variety here. I love it. We're working it around. We're working around. So, so um, the rules are the the King of the Hill champion, currently Smug, has to go first in the first round and the third round. First take is yours, Smug. This is this is a good one. I I, I was like maybe maybe Tom Nichols is one and done. Nah, he's he's dropping the takes. <clears throat> Tom Nichols, if the Coalition for Democracy includes everyone from Liz Warren to Liz Cheney, that's a pretty big tent, and I'm in. If you're one of the people whose purity demands that you can't be in a coalition with either of them, you're not focused on the real problem here. Fire. Hmm. You gotta wonder that you gotta wonder what I got in reserve when that's the first one I'm throwing out. Shout out Tom. The brainworms are strong. Trump left us with the worst wave of death in a century, the worst crime increase in years, the first net job loss in generations, and an insurrection attempt based on an avalanche of lies told across all forms of media. Twitter was one of the least of his important problems. Wow. Let's just recap. Uh, He's responsible for the death of COVID. Uh, My favorite is he's he's responsible for the crime. (laughs) Yeah, he he, he was the one encouraging all the rioting all summer, right? The riots look like Trump supporters. Yeah, it wasn't all the mayors who let it happen. It wasn't Kamala Harris creating, you know, promoting the the bail fund to, you know, get them all out of jail. No, it's does Trump. Trump did it. That's it. That's it. Bro, let's be serious. Tom Nichols literally just built a coalition out of Liz Warren to Liz Cheney. <laughs> what, what what I love about that one, Smug, what I love about that one is like time really is a flat circle because it has like it has total like George W. Bush, you're either with us or you're with the terrorist vibes. It's so wild. It's a good take. It's, it's so good. wild. See, I, I love round one in this game, guys, because you both bring heat. It's the most tactical round of, and all. then change change your strategy depending on the outcome of round one. Yep. Yeah, you got you got to do it. Um. Gosh, I mean, this is a tough one. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Versus. Donald Trump is responsible for everything that's ever happened that went bad. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I got to give it to Smug. Oh, boom. I got to oh, give it to it. Smug. Oh, like, look, look he, he, here's my calculus in, in, in this one is incredible tweet, Holmes, and you brought the absolute heat, but it didn't feel novel. Like, I feel like I've heard that from so many of these schmucks that like at this point i just sort of moved past it 
you know, like, of course, they're going to blame everything on Donald Trump. Like that, that's why they go on television and get contracts. Yeah. But I think, I think smug, smug wins. Yeah. The problem you get with French who I love for his bad takes uh, is that he has an element of that. There's an element of just sort of like, just echoing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, r- round have, two, round two is you, you first, right? Yeah. I've got, you know, look, I got some choices in front of me. I, I, I'll be honest. Like, uh, I don't know. Um, Okay, so here's here's one. The lies surrounding the 2020 election were insane, easily debunked nonsense. Yet now dissenting from those lies carries a cost. Publicly disagreeing with the liar in chief is grounds for demotion. That was yesterday. And you know exactly the context for which it was tweeted. Uh, I like it. I like I like liar in chief. There's an extra little flourish there. Yeah, no, no. I, I thought maybe the jury would like. Well, that. I, I like I like that just because it is. I mean, like if you just just go to Twitter and type in hashtag resist, and it's all uh, Drumpf or Orange yeah. Man or Cheeto Jesus or liar in chief. So I got to give him give that to him. Yeah, it's pretty good. Smug, what do you got for us? I got fire. <laughs> He's so confident. This I got time. fire. And, 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 and like Holmes, I know the game. I know the game. I'm playing to the judge. <clears throat> May 12th, 322. Tom Nichols. Start with the Federalist Papers. Work out from there. This was his answer to a question about God. <laughs> Wait, <that was> <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. I'm gonna need the context. What was the actual question? The person this guy, asked? this is not like anyone I've ever heard of. David M1108 on Twitter. Is it a random dude? Random dude. I mean, even deeper than that, eliminate the god and xenophobic identity. And and, and radio Tom hits him with start with the Federalist Papers, work out from there. <laughs> That's a knockout. That's a knockout. Uh, Boom! That's it. I can't. I'm sorry. Radio free Tom. There's nothing I can do. (laughs) I can't compete, nor do I want to. That wouldn't take the pity of a third round after that. Wow. Can you imagine? I love love how condescending that tweet is. Like someone asks about God and he doesn't say, you know, consult, you know, whatever denomination, your worship. He's like... Federalist Papers. <laughs> Dude, I'll be honest. I think he's going to be around a while. This is going to be tough. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I thought he was just like, you know, he had a hell of a week. This guy, this guy's out for it. Listen, Minions, we have some work to do because I know we got a lot of great recommendations for French. French couldn't hold it. This is going to be French's first and last time on the... on the. Uh, yeah, I'm shocked. Because that can't compete with what we just heard. He, he, he lasted as long on King of the Hill as he, he lasted in that, that Pres- ill-fated presidential bid that was pumped up by Bill Crystal. Remember that? <laughs> I love that so much. All right, guys, let's get to this really big 
interview, Nigel Farage. Let's do it. I want to welcome to the program somebody that we have pined to have on for a while as an incredible perspective and is highly entertaining. The former leader of UKIP and the Brexit party, Nigel Farage. Nigel, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Listen, are you in America right now? I am in America. Yeah, I had to quarantine to get in because of ridiculous COVID rules. Um, so I spent a fortnight on a Caribbean island getting here. I mean, life is really tough, you know? Oh, that's, that's difficult. Hence, I've got just the most amazing suntan any Englishman's ever had. Um, and, and I've come to America. And obviously, having gone through that, uh, it wasn't worth coming for a week. So I'm here for six weeks and I'm touring relentlessly, sort of, it's sort of, you know, one night in a hotel, unpack the kit, do an event, pack it up the next morning and move on. And I've come here with Freedom Works. Why Freedom Works? Well, because they're a grassroots organization. Uh, and my whole career, over a quarter of a century or more, was about building grassroots support. And it was that grassroots support, it was that persuasion that goes on, on the ground, that actually convinced people that the entirety of the establishment in Britain was wrong. And I mean everybody, all the media, all the political parties, all the trade unions, all the big businesses. And this dream that I had, which everybody thought was utterly ludicrous, namely Brexit, actually came to pass. So for me, to work with a grassroots campaigning conservative group in the USA is logical. I gotta tell you, did an event last night in just, just outside Chicago. There was a good crowd there about 450 people. And I felt like I knew every one of them because it was a UKIP meeting. They were exactly the same people. <laughs> yeah, and this is the remarkable thing, that, that as we've confronted globalism, this sort of attempt to transfer democracy from a nation state level to a supranational level, as we fought this battle against you know, globalist international bureaucracy, as we fight the battle, people call it woke, but I think actually cancel culture is a better way of putting it. Um, as we see the terrible, deliberate attempt to divide black and white people through the Marxist organization, Black Lives Matter, you know, actually the battles that we're fighting back in the UK are virtually identical to the battles being fought by conservatives here in America. So, you know, some people said, well, you know, what's this Brit got to do with anything? Uh, but, but, I mean, definitely fair question, but the truth of it is, the truth of it, I mean, we've got Brexit. You know, we are now independent. We've left the ghastly European Union. Uh, we now have 70% approval for Brexit, which is very exciting. But frankly, if America falls, what's that worth? Right. America's the leader of the free world. And I, I've believed, I mean, my first job back in 1982 was working for the infamous Drexel Burnham Lambert of Wall Street. So my whole life, has been, you know, I've been one of these sort of, you know, cross-Atlantic commuters for most of my life. Uh, and, and, you know, I know that America is a leader of the free world and we want America to be in a good space. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get linked up? One of our, just so you know, uh, Michael Duncan on our program, one of our co-hosts got his start in politics at Freedom Works, actually, yes. and, and did a lot of work in the era of Obamacare sort of rallying grassroots, which, you know, FreedomWorks did a great job in rallying grassroots opposition to Obamacare. What's your, uh, what's your plan? You say you're doing a lot of travel, you're going out and speaking to people. Is this, uh, you see yeah. a movement? I, I mean, look, the, the many conservatives in the USA have been 
going through what I can only describe as a period of mourning. You know, upset that their guy got 75 million votes, somehow didn't win. Uh, doubtful, questioning about the integrity of the election. Alarm at the rise of violence and division that is happening in the cities. And of course, looking at Biden's plans, not just for increasing taxes, but perhaps for packing the court, you know, changing everything and putting in place legislation that frankly would make elections much less fair. So there's been a period of mourning amongst conservatives, a period of disillusion. And the reason I'm coming is to say this, like you in 2016, we won a victory that nobody thought possible. But by the spring of 19, nearly three years after our historic vote, Brexit hadn't happened, the legal deadline had passed, and the sort of Guardian set were saying, oh, it's all over, everyone knows it was a terrible mistake, Brexit isn't going to happen. So there was a great deal of disillusion. Mm -hmm. Our movement, and particularly after what had been the biggest democratic vote in the history of our nation, and yet, I didn't give up, I fought back. You know, I re-energized the grassroots, I re-energized the people's army that I'd built up over 25 years. We went back into battle, we crushed it, we got rid of Theresa May as Prime Minister. That opened the door for Boris, it opened the door for Brexit. So if we can fight back from a difficult circumstance and win, I'm absolutely certain you guys can do the same. And the other little added bonus here is because the British Labour Party, the Socialist Labour Party, refused to accept Brexit because they continue to support just a complete open door to legal and illegal immigration into Britain. And because they take the knee to BLM and any other trendy fad that comes along, <laughs> we, we've actually not just got Brexit, but we've beaten the Socialist Party. We've beaten socialism in England. It's on its back. It's on the floor. Now, look, you've got a very, very woke administration who obsess about transgender female athletes or whatever it may be. I mean, do you really think that that is what working class communities in the old industrial heartlands of America who voted Democrat for the last 100 years, do you really think that's their dinnertime conversation? I don't. You know, they're more concerned about real issues. They're more concerned about bringing up their kids. They're more concerned about their kids' education. Uh, they're more concerned about their kids being told to be ashamed of everything America's ever stood for, rather than saying, you know what? Our histories may not be perfect, but we're proud of our country and proud of our people. So I see a phenomenal opportunity for Republicans right now. I think the border issue, what is going on, the fact that effectively every state is now becoming a frontier state as people get dispersed across the country, the sheer unfairness of illegals coming in and being allowed to stay in a country that's been built on legal immigration, you know, mm. that, all of that resonates. So my message is, we've beaten socialism, we've got Brexit, we've beaten the globalists, hey, you can do the same as us, if not even better. But you've got to be, you've got to be positive, you've got to be mobilised, you've got to be united, and I'm very struck that there are so many different conservative groups in this country raising money, doing their own thing, but almost operating in their own silos. Doesn't seem to me to be, a, there's nowhere near enough coordination. That's right. Amongst the conservative uh, you know, you know, movement in this country, but also you know, from the party, from the leadership, there needs to be a very, very clear message. And 
that message can't just be everything's awful everything's going to hell in a handcart it's all over that message doesn't mobilize <laughs> people out not and, terribly and inspiring I, yeah I, I, and you know i watch the conservative news channels i mean you know after a couple of hours of listening to this stuff i mean i'm sort of reaching <laughs> whiskey bottle you know i mean it, it, it's all too much there needs to be an uplifting positive message and solutions to problems. Well, I think you've just identified the reason why we started Ruthless, honestly. Uh, you've, you've described much more articulately than we ever could the, the problem that we've had in the conservative atmosphere. We basically either yell at you or read you the Federalist Papers. And, and yeah. we're, not gonna, we're not gonna do either on Ruthless. <laughs> this is why we like to have these conversations. I wanna ask you a little bit about your background because you, you're fascinating to me in one, in one primary respect. It takes a special kind of personality to not only in his own country, but internationally, decide that they want to take on basically all of the establishments, whether they're yes. pop yes. culture, government, whatever. But mm. that's you. What, what, yeah. How do you get there? How did that happen? Uh, bravery tinged with madness, I think. <laughs> my um, no, I mean, I'm either brave or mad or both. I don't know. I, I, just, I just, in the early 1990s, I sussed out what the European project was about. And I realized that there was an attempt effectively to build one system of rules, one almost one form of world government, and that Brussels and the European Union was the epicenter of that project. And I took the view uh, that it was basically a new updated form of communism, uh, that it wouldn't actually work, that it would lead to big money, big banks, um, and big politics working hand in glove to the disadvantage of ordinary folk. I believe that nation states are the way in which we want to live, the, the way in which we choose to live. It's to a nation state that we pay our taxes, sometimes grudgingly, but we still pay our taxes to the nation state. It's to the nation state that in times of extremists, we're prepared to put on military uniform to defend our freedoms, our liberties, our families, our culture, our history, and everything we stand for. And the attempt to eradicate nation states and replace them with a new order has about as much chance of working as 1917 communism did at getting rid of a class system and making, and making society equal and fair. It just isn't going to work. So I kind of just saw this. And, 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 you know, you meet people who find God and become born-again Christians or whatever it is. Uh, well, you're really talking to the first, the first populist. You know, I saw globalism for what it was. I mean, the Tea Party, they're amateurs, they're beginners. I mean, they didn't start till 2010. I got 17 years on that line. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, and it was, and to be honest, you know, to be honest, I mean, it was a very, very long, lonely journey. Uh, yeah. and, I, and, you know, I remember in 1999, three of us, three of us from UKIP, walking into the European Parliament and being met by the British ambassador who sat opposite us and gravely intoned, gentlemen, what are your intentions? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think he thought we were the wild men from the hills. I think he thought- Well, he, he was kind of right. He was I mean, kind of right. Well, yeah, but ah, but to do it in an absolutely non-violent way. Right. To do it with some quite sharp words, yes. Uh, tinged, I hope, with a fair bit of humour. Um, <laughs> but, but so, and it, and, it, and it was a very, very lonely journey. and and. You know, in total, from me committing myself to doing this to us actually succeeding, 
I mean, that was 27 years. So it's a very, very long campaign. I, there were times, and I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be a human being if I didn't admit, there were times on that journey when in private moments of reflection, I wondered what on earth had become of my life. <laughs> um, but I just always felt, I just always felt deep down that the British people, when it really came to it, had more in common with the English speaking world and the Commonwealth and, and those countries with whom we've had this incredible shared history. We've had our odd conflict, you know, and I, you know, don't quote 1812 at me for goodness sake. <laughs> But, we'll leave but, that alone today. <laughs> but, but, if you, but if you think about our countries over the last 120 years, it's remarkable yeah. how close we've been and how much blood and gold we've shed together doing things. But also culturally, you know, teenage kids in Britain are not interested in German culture or French culture or Italian culture, but they love the Kardashians. Now, whether, right. whether that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> isn't really the But you see the point I'm making. So I always felt that Churchill was right when he said that, that, that Britain is of Europe, but not part of Europe, and that we should seek, you know, we should seek the open seas and the English as our closest allies in the world. And I, and I always thought when it came to it, that would be the instinct of the British people. And indeed it was. Well, remarkable foresight, because I think there's a lot of people that didn't see that coming. We... Um... Uh, have a, a one of our hosts here, Amanda Henneberg. We call her Hollywood Hen on the program. But but in all honesty, the reason that she's such a critical portion of this, she has absolute love for all things royal. And, yep. Yep. and she's informed our listeners reliably on a couple of items. She's also had the pleasure of, of hanging out with you a couple of times, so naturally is a big fan. Uh, and, and she's it on... Hey, hey, it, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Listen, I want to invite her on. She's got a couple of questions yeah. about, about the royal. We're, we are infatuated with the, all of the drama. And so, Hollywood Hen, are you on? Yes, I'm on. Hello there. Hello, Nigel. Thank you so much for coming on. We've been so excited about this. Um, this is just a quintessential American question, but I just need to ask your take on Harry and Meghan. I need to know what you think and what you think the British people at large think about them? I'm dying to know. Well, we exported populism to you in 26, <laughs> when the Brexit phenomenon led, led and helped, I think, in a Trump victory. Um, our most recent export is this young married couple who are living on the West Coast in La La Land, where they absolutely belong. Um, and I have to tell you, Amanda, we don't want them back. They're yours for keeps. I thought the interview with Oprah Winfrey was disgusting. There was barely anything that she said that was true. I mean, just I mean, to even imagine that we should believe that the Archbishop of Canterbury married, met, married them in a sort of backstreet service for 50 pounds in the back pocket with no witnesses. I mean, the whole thing was awful. I thought it was a massive insult to the Queen. And you know, worst of all, I was told a week before that interview was recorded, I was told by a royal correspondent in London that everybody knew that Prince Philip was on his deathbed and they still went ahead with that recording. Oof. I, guess the, I, guess the net, I guess the Netflix contract wouldn't wait, you know? So right. I'm utterly contemptuous of both of them. I, I hope we never see him back on British soil. Uh, and I think actually the truth is they'll fit in very well in La La Land. They'll be very happy there. <laughs> Do you feel like that's a, that's a common sentiment from people over in Britain or what is their, what is their perception of 
Harry oh, and Oh, most people are disgusted by what they've done, appalled okay. by what they've done. However, there are some young people who are prepared to believe them. The difficulty is that if you attack the royal family, it's very difficult for the royal family to respond. You know, yeah. you know, they don't get involved in public debate like this. So there are some people prepared to believe them, but overwhelmingly, uh, people are absolutely appalled. Yeah. Got it. Well, just for the record, I'm team Kate and William, just so we make sure that that's clear. Kate is just magnificent. That's uh, what I think. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she carries herself. She carries herself in public with the most astonishing dignity. Um, and the royal family, I mean, look, the Queen's amazing. The Queen's amazing. Prince Andrew's become a complete liability. Um, and as for Charles, well, he and I have had our cross swords <laughs> over the years on a range of issues. No, Kate and William are magnificent. Uh, and, and imagine how he must feel right. about, about his own brother behaving like this. I, mean, I know. Shocking, really. yeah. That is one of the saddest parts to watch that relationship splinter. Yes, I mean, they did talk after the magnificent Philip's uh, funeral. I did like Philip. He was, he was so upfront and plain spoken. It was extraordinary. Um, I remember being at Buckingham Palace. It was in 2000 and there was, a, there was a, a private cocktail party in Buckingham Palace. There were about 40 or 50 guests invited and I found myself surprised to be one of the guests. I guess, you know, they were interested in what this new political phenomenon was and you know, and you line up and you meet the Queen and, you know, you say, good evening, Mom, and thank you, Mom, and, you know, you chat with her and she sort of nods at you gently as if to say, right, off you go. And it's all done beautifully. And then I got to Prince Philip and he said to me, ah, yes, he said, you're that MEP chap, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am, honest. I said, but I have to tell you that I'm not a fan of the institutions of the European Union. Mm, he said, I quite agree. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, you know, I mean, he was a World War II naval officer, you know, many yeah. dispatches. And I think, I think the generation that went through a war and fought in a war and saw a lot of sadness and tragedy uh, were somewhat less afraid to speak their mind about things than right. some of us that have come since. But I thought, you know, the Queen... It was, it was actually heartbreaking, I thought, to see the Queen sitting on her own, you know, in that chapel for her husband's funeral, um, shedding a tear. I mean, it was really, really, I found it quite hard to watch, actually. Yeah, I agree. That was tragic. Very yeah, sad. Yeah, quite a love story. Listen, I got one more piece of business I got to cover with you. You yeah. were a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you, I think, met with former President Trump down at Mar-a-Lago. Is that right? Well, actually, I've been a couple of times. I went down to Mar-a-Lago and had a meeting with him a couple of weeks ago. And then uh, some friends of mine are members of Mar-a-Lago and said, look, it's the last weekend of the season. <laughs> Come. And I, and, and, and I just thought, well, what the hell? Why not? So I was actually at Mar-a-Lago all weekend. I'm still recovering from it, actually. Um, and yeah, and he was very much out and about over the weekend. And he... You know, I mean, some people don't like his style and he ruffles some feathers and I get all of that. But all I will say is that he's lost a lot of weight. He's playing stacks of golf. Huh. Looks, he looks fitter and younger than when he took the presidency back in, back in January 17. Uh, his old sense of humour was back. He was getting on, joshing with people, having fun. He looked really good. That's great. That's good to hear. Well, a dispatch from Mar-a-Lago in addition to the UK. This is terrific. Full service industry here.
I got, I got three quick rapid fire questions and we'll get you out of here. I know you got to go. The first one, we ask every, every single guest, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Ah, so if I was going to be shot at dawn, which, <laughs> which if Brexit hadn't happened, would have been very possible, you know. Um, I've always said it would be, there's a little game bird that we get in Scotland in the north of England called the grouse. It's the most fantastic eating bird. So I've always said my last meal would be a whole roast grouse, you know, with roast potatoes and vegetables and a bottle of claret. Uh, although I don't think one bottle would be enough. That's that's entirely right. It's your last meal. There's nothing to worry about the next morning, right? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so second question. If you weren't doing any of this, if you weren't involved in public service in any way, what would you have done with your life? Oh, well, I was in commodities. You know, I worked in commodities. Um, uh, and so Chicago was like a, a spiritual home, really. I mean, the Chicago Board of Trade, the Merck, those amazing open outcry markets and everything from soya beans and hogs to, you know, S&P and bonds. I was particularly in metals, you know, non-ferrous metals, copper, zinc, tin, lead, aluminum, as you call it. Um, and no, I mean, I, if I hadn't done politics, I would have stayed in commodities. I would have ridden the commodities super boom, which went from 04 to about 08, 09. <laughs> I would have been incredibly rich. Yes. <laughs> very fat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> incredibly unhealthy probably had a heart bypass operation already um yeah I, you know i honestly think i would have made an awful lot of money i gave all that up to do politics uh i love what i was doing i love commodities in those days it was such a a wonderful crowd of people to work with it was just i mean going to work on a monday morning was a pleasure um and i stayed doing that it's not as much fun now because of all the regulation but that's what i would have been i would have been a commodities broker and trader uh, and instead I became, instead I became a scourge of the establishment. <laughs> well, you're doing more good. I'll be honest. You're doing more good on this path. Last question. Yeah. What motivates Nigel Farage more? Is it the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Oh, well, asking an ex-trader that question is a very good one because, because, you know, when you have a winning trade, you go, oh dear, oh dear, I should have done more. I should have got, yeah, right. I should have, and actually losing money, you go, oh, right, that's it. It's all over. Let's go out for a drink and forget about it. You know? So, so the, the, there, is, there is something of the gambler that actually, in a perverse way, enjoys losing. There's no question about that. That does not apply to my 27-year journey. I honestly cannot tell you the feeling of satisfaction that I have on two levels. One, that I achieved my life's ambition when everybody said it was completely impossible to do so. But two, even better, that Brexit now has a 70% approval rating, and that's gonna rise over the next few years. And hopefully that means I can return to a life, in, certainly when I, when I visit London, where I don't need security around me the whole time, because that loss of freedom, just because of the threat that was posed by the other side, as a result of all the globalist lies that were told about Brexit. So I'm hoping, you know, I mean, look, you know, I'm never going to be able to walk down the street without people commenting. Whenever people say you're famous, I say, no, I'm not famous. I'm infamous. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's probably true. And there's the but, difference. No, <laughs> but no, 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 honestly, I, you know, it's incredible. But how many people have a big ambition and achieve it? Not very many. And so I'm extremely happy with that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Next time you're in, in town, you find yourself in Washington, D.C., we'd love to buy you a cocktail and uh, trade Accepted. Stores. Accepted. Absolutely. I love it. Nigel Farage, everybody. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. There's something about listening 
to a guy with a British accent who is not just, you know, just because of his accent, but he's also incredibly articulate, but he makes you feel like the populist sort of view of the world that he talks about just sounds like a gift, doesn't it? I mean, he's really got this, he sounds great. So I, I had a feeling that the minions and, and our listeners will be very excited about this interview, but the outpouring of just enthusiasm, I knew it was going to be a banger. I'm, I'm really, you know, enthused to have a beer with the guy. I feel like he right? could be a good time. That was my takeaway. Like he, he had a lot of great points. Number one takeaway. I want to, I want to have a beer with this guy. Well, you know, a you, pint. You, I want you know a the, proper pint. You, you, right. You know, the type, you know, who, who are just, uh, you know, good to get a beer with, you know, who could probably tell you some crazy stories. Right. And probably can put a few back. Yeah. Let's make it happen, Nigel. Let's yeah. do it. Nigel, if you're listening, thank you for coming on the show. Please drop on by our neck of the woods across the pond. The first pint is on me. And you can listen to that terrible accent. <laughs> God, smug. Pack that up. Holy shit. I mean, I am so, so pleased with how this episode turned out. Those, those, a lot of anticipation for it because of that interview. I, I think we did a great job breaking down for everybody, not taking the bait. That's the theme. That's what everyone Let's needs to go. know going forward. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.